Hello and welcome to Flowing Backwards, a podcast by me, Phil Peake, and the other bloke in Mosley, Ian for Candles Moss. Unfortunately, because of the lockdown, it's again on WhatsApp. Thank you, WhatsApp. There are some beeps and bleeps and dings because of people messaging Ian, but never mind. So, sit down, put on your headphones, and enjoy. Hello again, people. Uh, you lovely people. I hope that um, you're all coping and not crawling up walls. And obviously, more important than that, I hope that your health is holding up and uh, that of your loved ones as well. Um, right. Um, we'd got up to me um, leaving the hamsters. Now, a week later... I had got a new group called uh, the Dodos and we played our first gig. But I'm not going to talk about it this week. I'm just going to talk about uh, things that were happening in general and we'll get to the Dodos, etc. Uh, in the next podcast. Um, first of all, of course, I will read you some verse. Um, this is topical, and I hope that you find it uh, sensible and uh, stimulating and uh, not at all insensitive. It's certainly not meant to be, although I am writing about uh, the current situation, which I was lulled to, but um, you must. It's the duty of an artist to, to speak about what's happening and, you know, and, and what they uh, make of it. So, here we go. 20 years into the 21st century, the planet's population all sit and watch TV, waiting for the updates from liars on the screen, all using our credit cards. We're too afraid to touch the green. 80 years before, century 22, a plague upon humanity under skies bright. Stopped using aeroplanes. Gas, gas guzzling decreased. The pollution disappeared and the homeless left the streets. In the here and now we ponder. Will this crisis lead to change? Shall big beasts value more those on minimum wage? Will we become gentler and fairer and see that we all have a place, one world of equality, or back to the rat race? When once again we are allowed to touch, will we all embrace or feel the need to reassert ourselves, punch each other in the face? And will banks and governments listen to our concerns or return to the madness where nothing's ever learned. Okay, uh, that's self-evident. I'm not going to do any explanation. Um, so let's get back sort of 79, 80, 81. Where are we up to? Um, I've had a couple of little jobs after I've left um, Cyple Brothers. I've worked um, for another... Uh, manufacturer of handbags as a designer um, but one weekend the factory mysteriously burns down 
Um, who mentioned insurance claims? Um, uh, so I also worked for um, the old manager at Seipel Brothers on a casual basis. He had uh, set up a business of his own and I worked a little bit for, for my friend Phil. I actually painted um, his, his unit, um, which was a great leap of faith for him because I am the least practical man uh, on, on the planet and I wore more paint than I actually put on the walls and floors and things. Uh, while working for, for Phil, there was a, a guy, a very close friend of his called Pete, who was a um, older guy than me and very muso. He was a guitar player of some repute locally. And I, I always remember the wireless we played. And he said, oh, there's, the, there's going to be this record, you know, and, and I really want you to hear it. And eventually, this record, it came running over. This is the record. This is the record as it came on the wireless. And it was um, Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits. And he absolutely loved it. Uh, and he said to me, what do you think? And I said, it is a steaming, vacuous pile of horse shit. It reminds me of um, Billy Don't Be a Hero or something. It is absolutely terrible um, and he was a nice guy Pete but he never ever spoke to me again after that um, anyway that was only a sort of temporary thing and um, I was I was mostly unemployed for a good period um, but then um, because of them bands you need money to pay for rehearsal spaces etc etc and Stephen who was in the band with me, of course, and my old school friend and flatmate Robert, their father had a greengrocer's shop in the centre of Didsbury. And um, he was short-staffed for a couple of days. And he was loath to, uh, to let me work even for two days because he thought I was a bad influence on his two sons, which was... Um, a strange perspective to uh, to have, but anyway, he was forced into letting me work for a couple of days. And after two days, um, because I'm not a shirker, and um, and as he later said, I have a natural charm, and his customers loved me. Um, he offered me a full time job uh, in this in Evans of Didsbury. Uh, the shop was called. It was very busy shop and I worked there for um, the next six or seven years. It was great. Didsbury was, uh, it, it was great except for the money. The money was appalling. But that, but that didn't really matter. It, I felt like I was cleansing my soul after, after the handbag and leather thing um, where I was carrying around a bit of pretentiousness about it being artistic. It was nice to be doing something uh, rootsy something that um, connected with other people and handling the, the produce of the soil. Um, I kind of liked that. Um, I would say the, the shop was good. Being in Didsbury, there were all sorts of interesting, um, interesting characters, a lot of academics, a lot of um, lecturers and people like that from the university, uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of doctors and, and, and stuff, a lot of media people. 
you know, um, Tony Wilson would pop in occasionally. Um, Dave Formula from from magazine would would be in and out. I remember um, Hooky, who we've mentioned, of course, who was in Joy Division. He was still in Joy Division at that time, I think, although he might have just started New Order. Uh, I remember him um, doing some work on Tony Wilson's car, a Jaguar, and uh, a couple of times uh, he came over and we went in the cavalcade for a pint at dinner time and a, and a chat. And the Distractions, uh, who were a really good band at that time, used to drive... Uh, through on um, on their way to rehearse in Charlton and loudly beat their horns and wave, and then on the way back they would loudly beat their horns and wave again. It was um, it was an interesting place with interesting people. One visitor that that was absolutely bizarre because I had no warning that she'd relocated to the UK was I was um, I was busy and I looked up one day to become front fronted by the unmistakable visage of Nico from the Velvet Underground. Unbelievable. I could <laughs> um, I don't think she bought fruit. I think I think I think she was looking for a sweet shop. Um, that got went more with the with the heroin addiction. Um, but um, but it was an interesting place. One person who came into my life was the um, senior lecturer in history of art at Manchester University, and he was called Ulrich Finkel. His mother was a um, baroness um, some, somewhere in uh, on the Rhine, um, and uh, Ulrich would um, ask me about coming to see me perform. He was fascinated by this, um, and one day the, the phone rang, and it was a fella called John B. Day on the phone, who had a band called Bathroom um, Renovations, Bathroom Renovations, and they were playing a gig in uh, Fallowfield at um, a building known as the Toast Rack in Fallowfield, and uh, he wanted, uh, he wondered if I could um, come and come and play support. Now I couldn't put a band together. I was, uh, I was, I don't know if I was bandless or it, it, I, I was certainly. Um, People I knew didn't have telephones and things like that. So on the day of a gig, that was impossible. Fortunately, my estranged um, hamster colleagues, Steve and Bob, were both working in the shop that day. And so I said, not a problem, and I recruited Steve and Bob to play. Um, Bob on violin, and Steve had a single... Um, what do you call them? Caribbean style drum, a single, single one of those, uh, without a stand. Uh, so we got to the uh, venue, which was well populated, lots of people there, and Ulrich had turned up to to come and see this event, and we had this um, six foot six um, statuesque uh, male model holding up Steve's drum. Uh, sat cross-legged on the floor with the drum raised above his head that Steve pounded on and uh, Bob screeching violin and me simply um, reciting little bits of verse the, the like of which you've heard at the start of this episode. Uh, it was a hoot and and people seemed to like it. 
the next day I'm at work and um, the phone rings again for me and it's Ulrich um, and he said to me Ian you are a genius <laughs> which, which was very nice of him to say uh, I wasn't fooled for one minute I've never ever thought that I am a genius uh, but Ulrich proposed to make a, uh, a cine film about me um, and 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 he did. <laughs> uh, it was it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit all a bit mad. Um, he had me climbing to disused uh, cemeteries and uh, reciting doomy verse. And he came and stopped um, at my parents' house, slept on the sofa one night, and um, went um, travelled with me to work and tried to encourage me to to start reciting poetry on the bus going to work at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I told him to fuck off, basically. I said, I've got to get this bus every day. You're not making me, you know, an object of sort of scorn and curiosity. Um, but anyway, he made this film called The Other Side of Ian Moss, and it was shown um, a couple of times in Manchester. Um, I, I remember Stephen came to the premiere um, which was on Deansgate and he said to me afterwards in, in his curmudgeonly like he said uh, it was really good that the only thing that would have made it better was if it had been about me um, it wasn't it was about me fortunately and then Ulrich got placed in uh, he did an exchange and he went teaching at Harvard in the USA and took the film and showed uh, this this film of me reciting poetry and etc. and wandering around Hume um, to um, to future presidents and corporation heads and things. Um, he said that it went down very well, but I think he was probably um, trying to uh, pacify my feelings. I think they probably hated it. I hope they hated it. Anyway, what else was he doing? Um, for entertainment, every Friday practically, used to go to the band on the wall on Swan Street, which is a great sort of venue, very atmospheric, uh, a great history. And on a Friday at the time, it was always jazz, which didn't know a lot about, but, you know, we were keen on jazz, and me and Bob and Steve would go, even, even though we weren't in a band together, we were still the best of friends. And um, it used to be a very staid audience of bearded types, um, sipping real ale and you know stroking the chins and sat down and we in bands that the, the bands who were playing sometimes they were great they were fiery and we would throw ourselves around the dance floor making shapes to this abstract music you know and really going for it and um, more, more than once musicians uh, at the end of the set would come and seek us out and thank us for our response and and say how refreshing it was to have uh, some feedback from an audience rather than play to, into this void of emptiness, uh, which was really nice. And it it's um, you know I started buying buying little bits of jazz, the obvious things, you know, Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Um, and um, John Coltrane, you know, um, s stuff like that. But the one who, who we're going to play a, a piece of music 
uh, a jazz piece of music that came out at the time, um, which was by Sun Ra Orchestra, um, and it's called Nuclear War, which is very much symptomatic of those days. Push that 
Hey, push that button. Your ass got to go. 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 It's a motherfucker. Blast you so high. It's gonna blast, blast you, you so high. Up in the sky. Right in the sky. You can kiss your ass. You can kiss, kiss your, your ass. ass. Goodbye. 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 Farewell. Farewell. Goodbye, ass. Goodbye, ass. It's a motherfucker. It's a motherfucker. Don't you know? Don't you know? It's a motherfucker. It's a motherfucker. Anyway, that's Sun Ra, who became a lifelong uh, love, and I got to see Sun Ra a couple of times while he was still alive. Uh, sorry, in Manchester, and then memorably, I saw him on a uh, Fourth of July in Central Park in New York once which was amazing. Anyway, um, it wasn't all jazz. I've not become um, 
become some odd jazz buff. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm not particularly a chin smoker. Chin, chin smoker, chin stroker, chin smoker. What on earth are I on about? Um, I was I was still keeping up with with what was going on, and as I've said in in the past, I always loved the German music, and there was a new sort of wave of of German bands about spearheaded by La Dusseldorf, who um, came out of the ashes of of Neu, who had been hugely influential. And then uh, a band uh, from Germany who, by the time I... They'd originally been a three-piece, but by the time I saw them, uh, and I saw them several times, uh, they, they'd slimmed down to a two-piece, were uh, DAF, D-A-F. Uh, and they were incredible. The music was so physical and oily and sweaty and pounding. And they were great. They were absolutely great. Um, they, they they just crunched and um, they looked brilliant and not everybody loved them which is which was which was nice you know they were certainly an antidote because to to what was happening you know because as as I've said we it, we were leaving behind all these this uh, punk by numbers, you know. I mean, if you wanted to listen to the drones singing, you know, uh, I'm in a hole and uh, I'm on the dole. They call me a yob because I ain't got a job and all that. You were welcome to it. And equally, you know, uh, there was kind of this new pop starting. It's all very shiny and optimistic. But, but life wasn't optimistic. Um, fact Thatcher had come into power for a start, you know. It wasn't good. Anyway, let's play Daff, and this is Der Mussolini.
another band who fascinated me at this time um, were Throbbing Gristle. Um, they, they're fascinated more, more probably for their outlook and their um, sheer subversiveness than than their actual music. I bought the records, and and there were bits of it that that were great, and other bits just left me um, puzzled uh, or you know nonplussed. Uh, but they were they were great, and it was um, it was it was lovely to find out that Genesis Peorage had been a um, student at Stockport Grammar School. It seemed uh, sort of incongruous, and the Manchester uh, links uh, were there in this most subversive uh, art project. Anyway, uh, I know we've only just played a bit of music, but this, this is just. This episode isn't isn't going to be hugely anecdotal, and so we're going to play something by Throbbing Gristle for anybody who's never heard Throbbing Gristle. This is the immortal Hamburger Lady. This was um, about a, a lady in a horrible state in a Burns unit, um, and and they were they were giving us a dose of reality amidst all the fakery and. Um, they were essential, absolutely essential for um, for the artistic um, movement to move, to breathe, uh, to free itself of pretense. So this is Throbbing Gristle. Okay. 
I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about opportunities, opportunities that that came along. I thought they would never stop. Opportunities wasted and squandered. Uh, such was life. Um, because when, as as I've said, everything was happening so quickly, and uh, and and the possibilities seemed endless. So where shall we start with opportunities? I'll go back uh, to the to the hamsters. I remember um, that, that there was a a, a meeting um, engineered. Um, Tony Wilson came to see uh, to see the hamsters and to meet with me. Um, and this was engineered through Andy Zero, who ran City Fun fanzine. And he came to see, see us at, playing at the Mayflower. Um, so he, he came along and Andy made the introductions. Bear in mind, it's me he's talking to because I'm seen as the most sane member of the band, the most reasonable one. Um, so he, he, he said to me, um, my good friend John Doey saw you play at the factory last week, and which we had done. We'd played on the, the dance floor at the, at the factory. We'd set up on the dance floor and we'd played this insane set with the drums sliding around, falling over, making a racket. They'd actually turned us off um, after about four songs and, and told us to go away. But we created a great impression. I remember Barry Adamson from Magazine uh, came and told me how much he loved it and he wanted us to play with Magazine. Um, that never came to pass because, uh, of course, what happens as bands reach a certain level is um, people start having to buy on to tours to be the support act you know, and subsidise the tour. That was never going to happen with the hamsters, really, was it? Anyway, but it was very nice of Barry, and it was very nice of John Doey to recommend us to Tony Wilson. So he came along with a view of us making a record for Factory, and uh, he said to me, what time are you on? And I said, well, we've already played, as was our habit of going on first. And he said, why is that? You were top of the bell. I said, well, we'd be too pissed to play later, Tony. Um, so we go on first. And he found that a little bit weird. And then he asked me this horrible question, which you just shouldn't ask. And, and, and as somebody involved with bands, he shouldn't have asked it. He said to me, what kind of music do you play? And I said to him, stupid music. And he said, what do you mean, stupid music? I said, yeah, stupid mu music. And I sort of jogged as if to dance around like a, a court jester and accidentally on purpose spilt my uh, drink down his long white coat. Um, Andy Zero stood behind him, shaking his head, horrified. And uh, Tony went away and never returned. Uh, so that was one opportunity wasted. Uh, another one um, was we had, um, or rather Bob and Steve had a friend, Jeff, who lived in Bristol, lived in Clifton in Bristol. And we um, we, were, we were often in the habit of having away days. So um, we got a train one Friday evening and 
went to see Jeff in Bristol. Um, on on the train, we sat around the table, the three of us, and and there's this um, well dressed man in his thirties there, and uh, he watched the pantomime of us trying to open this bottle of white wine with a with a pen. Uh, eventually, we pushed the cork into the bottle, but unfortunately, the uh, the pen brokers went as well. So we had this uh, vivid blue white wine, uh, which wasn't wasn't going to put us off drinking it. So we were drinking uh, this wine, getting blue lips, and and he very and he joined us. He thought it was all great deal of fun, and he um, he was called Brian Gibson, and he told us he he was working. Um, freelance for the BBC making documentaries and why he was doing this was to raise money for a film project that um, he was going to do he was going to make a film and he said you he'd listen to our stories he clearly liked us we you know I mean we were like the three students something we were entertaining I'm sure to him and he said and you would be brilliant in it um, so he was going home to Birmingham, he lived in Birmingham, and um, he, he gave me his card and said, please, phone, phone me up, let me come and watch you rehearse, and I'll take you out for a meal and some drinks, you know, and we can talk about, about moving this thing forward. Um, he was a nice guy. So he got off the train at Birmingham, and, and I said to Steve and Bob, Showed them the card. I said, "What do you do with this?" And they said, oh, "Nothing will come with it." So, just ripped it up and discarded it. And then uh, Brian made his film, which was very successful. It was called Breaking Glass, and briefly made a pop star of one Hazel O'Connor. Uh, imagine the hamsters could have been pop stars. <laughs> dreadful thought. That is a dreadful thought. Uh, anyway, those are a couple of opportunities. Uh, God, uh, I was all, I was listening to all sorts of music. I said listening to uh, jazz, still listening to reggae, listening to what was going on. And one of the things that was happening were bands were uh, to get away from the punk thrash, were borrowing styles from the past, retooling them, and adding uh, their contemporary sort of twist and message to them. A good example of that would be the specials who originally took uh, Scar and, and and made this thing that was absolutely brilliant live and made some great records. Although by the second and third LPs, there was barely any Scar at all on it. Think of... Um, think, think, think of their great records. I can't think of the title. Oh, how embarrassing is this? Ghost Town, the the special's finest moment, which isn't Scar at all, but still, you know, they're regarded as some sort of Scar revivalists. They simply borrowed it for a little while and moved on. Another band who uh, who borrowed from the past were Dex's Midnight Runners, who I loved, absolutely loved, uh, who took the, the passion and the power of 60s soul, particularly the stack sound of the pumping horns and organ, and, um, and added Kevin Rowland's quite 
superb lyrics to it and they were they were one of the great bands of the era um and so we're gonna gonna play uh, plan b which was my favorite dex's uh single and while we're playing it of course there is a couplet in it um bill withers was good for me pretend i'm bill and lean on me so it's a uh, it's also acting as a little tribute to uh the recently deceased Bill Withers, who was quite a wonderful artist in his own right. So this is Dex's Midnight Runners, Plan B. I won't need to think of nice things to say. Won't want to want this Yeah. 
Opportunity, one more wasted opportunity. I'd left the hamsters by this stage, and they had gone on without me, and I'd gone my own way. And um, Stephen's behaviour was as erratic and violent as ever, and he had recently attacked without any provocation Alan Wise, who was the um, main promoter in Manchester. And Alan was a nice guy as well. He'd never done us any harm. S Stephen had, had beat him up quite badly um, in, a, in a sort of flurry of blows, smashed Alan's glasses into his face, and quite rightly was hauled before the court and, and, and fined. Alan, years later, told me about uh, his, his side of it and the horror of it and how frightening and horrible it had been. Now, I wouldn't have blamed Alan if he had lumped me in the same bag. Lots of people would have done, even though it wasn't true. I wasn't there, wasn't witness to any of any of this. Um, but it's a measure of the man that Alan, Alan didn't. And so again, one day I'm at work and the phone rings and it's Alan Wise. This is only a couple of weeks after Stephen has attacked him. And Alan says to me, um, there's a TV um, playwright stroke director, uh, Alan Clark, who is casting for a BBC play for today. Um, and, and he gave me a brief, broad outline of, of what the play was to be about. It was to be set in Moss Side during the riots. And the part was, the cent central part, which was um, what I was to be considered for, was as a um, National Front supporting um, skinhead. Um, so Alan said he wants some authenticity and you are pretty much a shoo-in. I've told him about you. He's very, very keen. Um, you know, have you got a pen and paper? I said, um, no need for a pen and paper, Alan. I'm not doing it. He said, you what? I said, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. I've got enough problems as it is with the way I'm perceived in this city, without um, adding uh, a suspicion that I'm a, a neo-Nazi to it. He said, "You must be mad." He said, "I've got the guys out of New Order here. I've got Eric Random here, all with clippers ready for for the shout. Everybody wants to do this, and it's yours for the asking." I said, "Well, I'm not doing it anyway." Everybody I told me told told me I was an idiot for turning it down, and uh, and they were right. Anyway, it, it sort of took some twists and turns the the thing, and eventually um, the part went to um, a young unknown actor um, in his first. It was his first role. He was called Tim Roth, um, and and so me turning down this role um, set Tim Roth off to stardom. Um, just think I could have been in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> um, I wasn't, 
you know, you make these decisions and you live with them. And I don't regret my choices hugely. Um, he's lived his life and I've lived my life. Um, so it goes. Um, one of the destructive things that we used to do at this time, and it was it tended to be around sort of punk rock people who, as I said, had all got very aggressive and macho, and we used to out aggressive and macho them, Stephen and I, by ripping at each other's shirts in these situations, smashing bottles, and um, gouging each other's chests with broken bottles, blood everywhere. It used to absolutely horrify people. Uh, quite rightly, you know, it was deranged um, when I think about it. I remember, um, I remember going to see um, the Albertos playing Snuff Rock at uh, the Free Trade Hall with Devo supporting them, and, and during Snuff Rock, um, Stephen and I slashing each other with bottles at the front of the stage, and uh, we were the only people stood up. So. Um, it, it was all um, very, very easily to spot what was happening. And I remember Jimmy Hibbert, the Alberto singer, looking down at, at this horror show in front of him and looking like he was going to be sick. Um, strangely enough, covered in blood, um, a, uh, a girl picked me up and took me home that night. She must have had a strange taste, um, and, and 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 we became a little bit of an item, more 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 friends than lovers, if truth truth be told. You know, there'd been a little bit of slap and tickle, but um, but she just liked me, and I liked her, and, and we palled around for a little bit uh, until she got, uh, I think she got tired of me self-destructiveness, and uh, and that went the way that. Another occasion when we were doing the. Um, the bottle slashing um, was a, a Buzzcocks gig um, at the Mayflower and covered in blood. Um, Peter Shelley took me under his wing. Peter was a lovely bloke, so let this be a little tribute to Peter as well. You know, he was just he, he was there with his family because it was a local gig, and he saw me and and took me under his wing and he he got fetched um, a bowl of hot water and some towels and, and clean me up because I really was a bloody mess and um, literally and, uh, and and sort of talk talk to me and, and and I was very drunk as you can imagine and I was trying to tell him um, about his, his, his current single at, at the time would be love you more with the uh, line until the razor cuts and I was telling him about um, cutting my wrists um, which he misconstrued as me cutting my wrist because I'd heard "Love You More." Uh, understandably, being when you're talking to a man, you know, who's, who's pouring blood. Uh, anyway, it wasn't, but it, but it was it was a lovely thing for for Peter Shelley to do. He was a really lovely man. I remember when we formed the Hamsters, asking him for some advice, and he and he said to me, um, "One of the main things is." You have to have a focus. You have to know what you want to do. Without a focus, you will just end up um, a mess. It, there'll, there'll be no discipline to what you do. It will, it will be uh, 
it would be too much and too little all at the same time. Uh, he was a lovely man, Pete Shelley. Um, the support act at, the, at this Buzzcocks gig at the Mayflower were um, a band who were just on the rise and um, they were the Gang of Four who had uh, sprung up from, from Leeds, from Leeds University. And they were um, radical in, in their sound, in, in the use of the guitar and the polemic of the vocals um, and the lyrics. They were, a, they were a great, great band. And so we're going to play as the last track we play tonight, um, the Gang of Fours, Armalite Rifle, from uh, their first EP. And we've uh, saluted Peter Shelley. We've saluted Bill Withers. And so uh, we will salute uh, John Gill, the guitar player and leader of the Gang of Four, who died last month. So this is Gang of Four, Armalite Rifles.
Uh, so that was the Gang of Four. We're going to keep this episode short and sweet because I'm aware that the last two have, have stretched beyond an hour, which is, is not part of my punk aesthetic at all. They've been the equivalent of Yessie's Tales from a Topographic Ocean. Uh, tonight's uh, tonight's is, is, is more like um, a Poison Girls album or something like that. Um, Poison Girls are appropriate because at the time, you know, as, as I've said, I'm not being funny. I remember Alan Pele uh, saying when he saw that saw us perform that uh, there was a campness and um, not not something overtly gay, but but we were we looked like a boy band. We were handsome chaps, and and I remember being described as a poison cherub. And anyway, um, so. I'm, 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 I'm just going to leave you with, um, because because I keep saying, you know, and, and it's it's a way of measuring the time. The other place that I went to a lot at this point would be the Arban Cinema, um, which was in Hume, which was great. It's an art house cinema, you know, before the corner house and home. It was a uh, it was much more sort of a run down affair than those, um, but it was great. I remember got to see uh, David Lynch's Eraserhead there, you know, and seeing Eraserhead on the big screen when you're totally unprepared. Absolutely brilliant. All this feeds into your aesthetic. I remember seeing Tin Drum there. You know Tin Drum? If you've never seen Tin Drum, while you're on this lockdown, search for it and watch Tin Drum. Absolutely brilliant. One of the best films ever. I think I saw Mephisto there as well, which was another great film. Anyway, enough. Otherwise, um, this will drag on. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye for now. Uh, we will be back with uh, more ASAP. I've got to say goodbye to my lovely friend Phil uh, for for hosting me, albeit long distance. Um, I've got to tell Phil to give my love to his lovely wife Helen with the lovely vivid red hair. And I have got to... Um, Thank all of you who have been in touch telling me that um, these podcasts um, are touching parts of your soul um, that need touching currently. Uh, what I would say to anybody who, who listens to these podcasts and enjoys them is spread the word for us, please. You know, pass them on. Tell your friends. Recommend us. Um, anyway, on that thought, I will love you and leave you. As always, we love you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for that, Ian. That was uh, another enjoyable episode. Um, I love Hamburger Lady. Hamburger Lady is just such a cool track. Uh, out there and weird. Yeah. Anyway, I can think of somebody else who's out there and weird as well. But uh, remember, www.flowingbackwards.co.uk and on Facebook, Flow Backwards. Just get on there, send us an email, whatever. Even a shout-out for somebody. And as for this very short, punk-aesthetically uh, pleasing episode of one hour and five minutes, um, thank you for that again, Ian, and I hope you all enjoyed it. So, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from him.